on this episode of Why Watch That. They literally just instantly looked like they'd been married for about 40 years. Wow. Wow. It was, I, I truly have never seen anything quite like it. And I do think, and they both said it, you know, there was something to the fact that they are veterans and they have been doing it a very long time and they could literally just take a scene on the page and just execute it instantly. It's like a heartfelt scene and Richard's just reading it and I'm already feeling ripped up and then suddenly he just snaps out of it and he's like, no, no, I think it's more like this. You know, I'm really sorry. And then, no, no, I think, it's more, I think it's a little less, you know, boom. And he, it's like he's just working on a dial on himself and just turning it on and off. It was, it was very inspiring. Wow. Why Watch That as a podcast featuring the critics and referee who go head-to-head on a quest to discover the best movies and TV shows Hollywood has to offer. Expect the unexpected from the critic. Well, nothing gets past the ref. We do all the work. So you don't have to. Welcome, Welcome to, to Why Watch, Watch That. Presented by Dynamic Network. I watched that sneak peek. Guess what, listeners? We got a chance to see a sneak peek of the new movie that's coming out on August 26th called The Hollers. And it stars a pretty amazing cast. But before we get into that, it is directed by um, the wonderful, wonderful John Krasinski, who you know from The Office. Yeah. And it's Emily Blunt's husband. <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't want to be known as that only. No. Um, this is his uh, second effort at directing a feature, and the cast is amazing. Let's get into this review because I'm actually excited about it. Oh, okay. Well, uh, John Krasinski, as you said, he stars in it. He stars as um, a guy who, he, he's an artist. You know, that's what he is. But he's, he's a struggling this- artist. Yes. <laughs> That's right. He's in this dead-end job he doesn't enjoy. Um, and he, he gets some bad news, Ref. He gets some bad news. His mother's health isn't that great. And by the way, the movie starts off with this scene <laughs> with, with that. I mean, please, we won't even get into it. So he goes back home. He's in New York City. He moves back home. Well, not moves, but he goes back home to check in on his mother. And he has to encounter all of the people he's been avoiding for the past few years in his hometown. Now, this is a small town. This isn't, you know, he, he's going from one extreme to the other. Yes, that's right. Uh, by the way, his fiance, girlfriend, we don't know who, is, is played by Anna Kendrick. She's pregnant. So that's a whole thing. Too. Very pregnant. Yeah. Yes. His brother, played by Shalto Copley, who's from District 9. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He has some problems move back home with his parents his wife and, and he have broken up she seemingly moved on he has not with been- josh groban <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. and then yeah josh groban plays a, a youth pastor <laughs> so that's going on his father and mother are played by richard jenkins and margot martindale who are great margot yeah let's just yeah 
Yes. So Margot is in the hospital. They have to operate. Uh, the question is, can this family come together? Can all of these problems be resolved? And can her health be taken care of uh, in the same at the same time? Uh, so that's it. I don't think there we should say anything. No, more. don't say anything more. But here's what we'll, we will say. In the uh, feeling of this movie, it's the word that keeps ringing through. It's, it's an endearing movie. This is John Krasinski. This is he's got a very heavy, wonderful background in improv, um, and you do see that in this movie. Yeah, um, he does a wonderful balance of deep emotion and humor. Yeah. And, and that's not always easy to do because not only is he directing it, but we know that he's also starring in it. Mm-hmm. So. Um, we definitely have to give him kudos for that. The cast is stellar. These are veteran actors. This is a bunch of, of people he really doesn't need to do anything with. But it wasn't all glorious. No. Yeah, I mean, there, it, you know, to me, Ref, here's what it is. It's like almost every scene was too long. Mm. Like they, they could have edited it down a bit. Uh, it, it was just a little too much time that he gave to all of them. And for me also, story-wise, I was most interested in Richard Jenkins and Margot Martindale. I think when they were on the screen, they, they yeah. really brought a groundedness to it. Richard Jenkins really has a hard role to play, and he does a good job of it. So that's what I was most interested in the film with those two, especially Margot Martindale. I have to highlight, Margot Martindale has this amazing, as, along with Richard, teetering between humor and really serious tragedy of, you know, anytime anybody's ill, you yeah. have to play that line. And Margot does some of her wonderful comedic work in this. If you don't know, you, we know her as a, a dramatist, yeah. but she does some great comedic work in this. Overall, I have to say The Hollers is a wonderful movie that you'll walk away with a feeling. Mm. You know, you're not going to be overwhelmed or hit over the head with it. It's actually, for me, it was a feeling that you left um, the theater with. And for me, it's worth a watch just for that feeling. Even though there's some things that could have been tweaked here, the writing was a little challenging. Um, yeah. Like you said, the directing, just maybe snipping off some of the ends, maybe snipping off some of that extra improv thing. But you are going to enjoy the uh, Josh Groban cameo. I thoroughly <laughs> did. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, another thing for the listeners to think of, about, you know, John Krasinski worked with Gus Van Sant on Promised Land. He co-wrote that with Matt Damon. You can see how he tried to pull some of the stuff from Gus Van Sant's whole toolbox and put it in here in certain moments. Transitions from scene to scene, the use of music, that kind of thing. Also depicting just normal life with these extraordinary circumstances. So, you know, if you liked Promised Land, I... It's not quite as good as that, but you'll have the same kind of feeling as you're saying in this movie. So, yeah, you know, maybe this is like a rental or something like that. That'll really be great. You know, I want to be on the couch watching this. (laughs) You know, you do want to be on the couch, but I tell you what, if you do want a nice little getaway uh, kind of movie that you're like, you know what, I feel like going to the movies and you don't want to overthink or yeah, you, know, you just want something to kind of sort of take you away. Simple. I think the hollers may be a solution for this summer heat. The why watch that interview. Hey there, listeners. We have a very special treat for you. We have someone special on the show. Um, the critic and I got to see the hollers, which is coming out in theaters August twenty six. Very excited about that. Yeah. It's starring and directed by John Krasinski from The Office, um, and it also stars Margot Martindale. Yes. 
Richard Jenkins, Anna Kendrick, Josh Groban, and our special, special guest, Charlotte Copley. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know Charlotte from District 9, the Oscar-nominated film, Elysium, Chappie, Maleficent, and the TV show on the PlayStation Network called Powers. So first off, Charlton, welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Great, great. Now listen, you get the uh, best name in Showbiz Hollywood Award. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought I was going to get the most difficult to pronounce name in Showbiz Awards. <laughs> I hope I'm not <laughs> murdering the name. <laughs> I, I, it's sort of, I sort of don't really listen to how people pronounce my name anymore. I just sort of let whatever goes slide. Honestly, I don't really notice. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't paying attention if you pronounced it correctly. You know, I, the trick is to say it really fast, and then maybe you won't right. notice. And you sort of gloss over it. You know, that, that is what sort of often goes down. I probably, you know, all things considered, I might have sort of maybe changed my name if I was trying to be a, a movie star with a movie star name. I should have, I should have thought that one through. But I, I was, I was too old and developed at the time. I was like 34 at the time I did District Nine. I was pretty much attached to my name. I'm like, no, man, I'm. I'm I'm me, I'm good. Whatever happens. <laughs> well done, well done, well done. Well, listen, um, The Hollers, oh, I enjoyed it so much. It's an endearing film with such a stellar cast. Mm. And, you know, we totally believe this family and all their craziness. You know, it's such a ride. Tell us how you became attached to the project. I knew John Krasinski um, through Emily, actually, through and, and he called me and said he wanted me to play this role and, and play his brother. And I read it, and I thought the character would be fun. I'd been looking for something, frankly, where I didn't have to kill anyone or have my face on. <laughs> really, I was like, you know what? I just want to do some proper acting that's like in a in a, in a drama, like small movie, where where I don't die and my mother can watch. And um, <laughs> so this came along, and I was like, this is great, this is perfect. I was like, yes, I'll, I'll I'll take it. Yeah, great. And you know, speaking of John Krasinski, we mentioned he directed the. He's also one of the principal actors. What was that like, Charlton? What was it like to be directed by him, to act with him all at the same time? It was really interesting because it was the first time that I've done a movie with an actor-director. And so I was curious to see how that would go. I, I pretty much figured that he would be extremely stressed by the end of the film and a lot of stories you hear of actor directors they are mm -hmm. um, so and, and I've seen you know I know what it takes on or the toll it takes on directors and John was producing as well by the way wow. so, yeah, so yeah. he when a location doesn't get cleared at the last minute or something he's got to go behind closed doors and try and do something like actually hands on producing mm -hmm. so I said to him you know I don't know how many episodes of The Office he directed or how much he had done but he really just looked like sort of a veteran at it it was quite something he would just sort of shift in front of the camera behind the camera effortlessly and most importantly he just created an incredibly as I suppose would make sense as an actor you would create a great space for other actors you would you would assume yeah. so, and that right. did happen he made he made an amazing space for the actors and just kept the pressures and stuff that he was facing because he was facing them but he just kept them totally away from us and and handled them you know somehow quietly without us uh, hearing about it or seeing cracks sort of on him at it was an incredible space and, an, as you say, an incredible cost, too. Yeah. So you play Ron Holler, the mm. son and brother who seems to keep coming up short in life, you know. <laughs> and um, <laughs> we watch him and it's, it's sometimes hilarious, but we watch him struggle to find his place in the family. Um, how did you approach finding the balance between Ron's tragedy and comedy? They're so closely linked, <laughs> you know, tragedy <laughs> and comedy. <laughs> T 
which tragedy is comedy from a far enough distance. <laughs> Every family fight you've ever had is funny <laughs> if you if it wasn't you in it. <laughs> and true, it that's so true. On it. Um, so, and I think with Ron particularly, it was it was a little tricky in the sense of tone because he was the craziest. If you were, I mean, for me, this is like one of the straightest characters I've ever done. But in the bunch, you know, against like John playing his guy, my guy was you know a little a little out there, and um, so it was very important for us not to have him be in a totally different form from the others because he does do some pretty wacky stuff. So I think we we just tried to play. Some things that are a little on edge, you know, with with real truth. So, like for example, the idea that you know, there's a scene in the movie where Ron is going to his because now he's missing his ex-wife and his two daughters that he yeah. that he loves and realizes as he's as you know that he's in the process of losing them because um, they're now separated and and um, and divorced. Sorry, and now realizes when there's a new man, Josh Groban comes in, the perfect man who's a <laughs> who's a who's a reverend in the movie as well, <laughs> is now becoming you know the new father. To, to his kids and he's freaking out about it there's a scene in the film where he goes to the to his old house to see you know who's this new man that's, that's hanging around my kids and my wife my ex-wife and in the film for example we took something you know the idea that if you have an ex that you still like the, the idea that you might have driven past her house or his house <laughs> is relatively true you know yeah, right. <laughs> you stopped in front of the house you started to get a little started to get a little more disturbing and then if you were you know in Ron's level of like looking into the house with binoculars you just push it into that comedic level but it's still tragic you know yes, it's, it's yes. tragic it's painful and so it's true it's true you have that feeling if there is an ex you love and you were, and the house was down the road or you did have the chance of driving past it you may be inclined to do it and so I think that was the thing is to like find you know, make sure the scene was true and it, the film was written with so much truth so much kind of universal truth that it was just by giving a little bit of an edge at times I think you could sort of make a scene a little bit funny but also tragic at the same time yeah. mm. <laughs> and speaking of depicting your characters ups and downs speaking of the writing how much improv did you do if any when making this film it's hard to say you know in terms of the percentage we we for the most part we stuck to the script the script was very very solid and we all felt good about the the lines in the script the setups in the script we changed you know a few things here and there and threw in the odd little word and stuff but very few like we didn't do a you know an entire scene that was improv or anything like that mm-hmm. so, so um speaking of just hollering uh the opening scene is when i went to the screen everybody was just laughing so hard <laughs> and you know right off the bat you get this real sense of you know the relational dynamics of the family um what was it like working with veterans uh margo martindale richard jenkins who we love and of course anna kendrick and and your well, hilarious scenes with josh <laughs> i mean all, all of these actors you know and it's, it's difficult because i've worked with a lot of great actors on 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 stuff and so i feel very fortunate in this case, where you had to play a family, it's a little scary going in because you're really hoping that there's going to be a chemistry. You know everyone's good, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have chemistry and yeah. you energetically feel right. I was, for example, you know, I was a big fan of Richard Jenkins. I'd seen him play Fathers many times. Yeah. And I thought, I really, I kind of look like this guy. I feel like... I feel like he could probably be my father. Like, genetically, he just looked at us. So I really want to 
make the audience buy that I am his son. You know, that was one of my biggest focuses because obviously his and my relationship is so critical. And so I really made a lot of, you know, put a lot of effort into that. I was, I was, I wanted him to sign off on the accent and to sign off on, to, you know, and everything because he's such a talented actor. And I mean the same with Margot and the same with all of them. But specifically, you know, we did a table read with John and, uh, and, uh, and myself and Margot and, and Richard as the family when Margot and Richard had just arrived and we just the two of us just watched them and we kind of looked at each other and it was like it was probably the first time in my career that I've actually felt intimidated where I just watched them <laughs> reading scenes and just explore they literally just instantly looked like they'd been married for about 40 years wow. Wow. it was I, I truly have never seen anything quite like it and I do think and they both said it, you know, there is something to the fact that they are veterans and they have been doing it a very long time and they could literally just take a scene on the page and just execute it instantly. It's like a heartfelt scene and it, Richard's just reading it and I'm already feeling ripped up and then suddenly he just snaps out of it and he's like, no, no, I think it's more like this, you know, I'm really sorry. And then, no, no, I think, it's more, I think it's a little less, you know, boom. And he, it's like he's just working on a dial on himself and just turning it on and off. It was, it was very inspiring and very... Uh, sort of it set the tone for us you know immediately they held that space incredibly well wow did you know part one uh, guess what rep? <laughs> uh, guess what yes <laughs> I have a did you know great I'm laughing because this is the second time <laughs> What? Listeners, when the critic has, did you know he waits for me to talk, even though it's supposed to be him? Oh, we're not even going to get into <laughs> the lies of what's going on back here with what I have to do anyway. Did you know? Here's what it is. Here's the okay. question. Here's the question. Which upcoming movie yes. coming up really soon features a leading actress who went to therapy, therapy, before filming began? Just to make sure that she didn't ruin her friendship with the director while on set. Oh, wow. So I'm thinking it's a relationship. Okay. I, you know what? I have no idea. I really don't know this one. I'll think about it, but give me a second. All right. This episode of Why Watch That is brought to you by Audible.com the leading provider of spoken audio entertainment, providing digital versions of audiobooks for download to your computer, phone, and MP3 player. Sign up today to try Audible free for 30 days and get a free audiobook of your choice. Visit audibletrial.com forward slash why watch that to get your free audiobook now and to support our show. Did you know... Part two. No, I don't know. I don't know. You're gonna have to get <laughs> easily. How dare you? How dare you not oh, take this seriously? <laughs> you work so hard. <laughs> it's the intervention. Ah. Oh, oh yeah. You know what? Our listeners may not know about that quite yet, but we have a surprise for them, don't we? We do because later on in the week, this week, we'll be releasing our review of that. So make sure that you take a look at our website, check that out later on. But do you know, because they were great friends, and this is Melanie Linsky, who was in Togetherness on HBO. She was in CBS's Two and a Half Men. Um, mm -hmm. And Kim Duvall is the director writer of the intervention. So they're great friends. But they know wow. because of their personalities. Melanie was like, she told the LA Times, she was like, look, I needed to go check with my therapist to make sure that our friendship could survive. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing, and then we'll end it here. The other thing is, in the movie, uh, she is the girlfriend of Jason Ritter, 
Oh, yeah. In real life, they're together. So the reporter, wow. yeah, so the reporter asked her, well, what about working with him? And she was like, oh, no, he's easy. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounded like she needed an intervention for intervention. <laughs> Back to Why Watch That. Okay, well, just shifting gears a bit here, back to something you mentioned earlier. You've typically been in sci-fi and action and adventure movies, that kind of thing, starting with District 9, which thrusted you into the spotlight. How did that experience change your career? Well, I mean, obviously it changed it completely. At the time, I wasn't even trying to be an actor. I was on the producing, writing, directing side and um, going into that side of filmmaking. So it completely changed in every possible way my career options, um, my opportunities in the business, uh, that film, you know, and what, what Neil did in creating that space for me as an actor, certainly to just bring everything that I had to the table it was very lucky it was kind of one of those moments where the stars align and you just go like wow how did how did that happen you know I couldn't (laughs) possibly as ambitious as I was and as hard as I'd worked up until that point in a variety of different projects I I couldn't really have made that happen myself I couldn't force that it's something beyond you that you can't fully understand kind of just kicks into place Uh, and in my life in my personal life obviously it made it extremely different in the sense of I moved out of South Africa I moved I live like a gypsy now living around the world and quite brutal on you when you when you had a pretty normal life up until 34 years of age you know where I had an office that was six minutes away from my my work and realizing how kind of disorientating the business can be in, in no small part because of the constant travel because you can't be in one place and just do all your work and go home. It's been an interesting time and it's uh, it, it, it takes work to stay grounded. It yeah. really does. It takes a conscious effort. Yeah, know? that's great to, that's like real talk, right? You know, yeah. um, uh, so you've got the action thriller Free Fire coming out shortly with Brie Larson and Killian Murphy and Army Hammer, which presumably is quite different from The Hollers. Um, just back, to, back to shooting people. <laughs> back to shooting innocent people. No, 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 no confusion in the title there. <laughs> the poster has bullets on it. <laughs> um, but uh, what kind of experiences do you walk away with from working on those two types of movies, you know, you, you alluded to it a little bit earlier. Mm. I think it's very different for me to have come from doing studio films to going to do sort of festival movies. And I and I sort of, at a certain point, I was like, I want to like go to a festival. <laughs> What's it like? Like to go to, you know, Toronto or, or London or Cannes yeah. or any of these things, you know, I really want to go. And to have two of them, you know, to, we 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 out in Midnight Madness again, and Hardcore Henry, the movie I did, you know, previously uh, premiered at, at Midnight Madness. So I'm back to Toronto this year with Free Fire, back, to, and we're going, we're opening the London Film Festival with Free Fire as well, yeah, yeah. which is very exciting. And it's great, man. You really do feel like you're making art when you work with these people, whereas on the other stuff, maybe not as much. Um, Neil's stuff always felt like Neil Blomkamp's stuff always felt very artistic to me, as albeit you know with with a more commercial spin on it but these are such movies with such sort of auteur directors that are making something really personal and and um uh, artistic to them that it's a it's a it's a very different it's a very different feeling you sort of feel more like a family i suppose there's more investment in it there's more investment in the film it's less like a corporate gig and more like just a real job that you're all doing together you're making less money you're doing it more for the 
for the art of it, I suppose, which is which is why you know the vast majority of us, I guess, want to want out of the business. And uh, yeah, I, I feel very lucky. Great. Okay. Well, you know what, Charlotte, we're coming to the end here, but we here at Why Watch that we always close our interviews asking what movies or TV shows our guests are currently watching. So, what are you watching right now? <laughs> Right now, um, I am watching, I, I get forced to watch whatever my wife watches because she just has it on. I don't actually choose what I'm watching. So, like, I, I'm part watching the Vikings. Um, okay. I'm about to start, I'm about to start watching South Park, which I understand is coming back. So that is, Ooh. that is what I will be, that is what I will be watching without ne- even needing my wife's prompting. <laughs> well, well done. Thank you so much, Charles O'Copley for uh, joining us on Why Watch That. Again, the hollers are in. It's going to be in a theater near you August 26th. And uh, we're excited for the rest of the world to catch it because you're going to have a good time when you sit down and watch that movie. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks so much, guys. And now, the pick of the week. In honor of our interview with Charlotte Copley, we have a pick of the week for you. The critic is coming at us. Uh-oh. Breakout role in District 9 that was directed and written by Neil Bloomkamp and also Terry Tatchell. Uh, this was a breakout film that really hit Hollywood in the gut because they had no idea where this was coming from. Peter Jackson actually presented it. He did a lot of the producing, executive producing of it. Please tell us about District 9. Can I just... It. Oh, you have not seen it? I know! Just, oh my goodness. Now, let me take a deep breath after that. <laughs> this is one of my favorite sci-fi films. Whoa, that's I a rem- lot coming from you. Oh yeah, I remember in 2009 when it came out, I remember being in the movie theater going, wow, this is actually good. I can't believe it. Because it was this big hype, you know, with Peter Jackson behind it uh, and seeing the commercials. And they really didn't have a huge budget, but... I think it kind of worked. Now, what happens is Shalto Copley plays this bureaucrat and he's in a future world where aliens have come to Earth, but the aliens essentially are treated uh, just slightly better or maybe worse than slaves. I mean, they are not the ones in charge here and they have this big mothership that's hovering above South Africa. So that's where we are. And Shalto Copley's character, Vickis, goes around and tries to manage these people. It really is, uh, it's really dealing with the apartheid yeah. system in South Africa. It's really uh, focusing on that. So you can see the parallels there. And writing-wise, it's really good how they weave those things in and out. So what happens is, you know, because he does not get along with the aliens or anything like that. Really, he's a, a racist. Oh. Okay. But something happens that forces him to alienists. (laughs) (laughs) But something happens that forces him to team up with an alien. Now the alien has his own agenda, and Vickis certainly has one. So you have to watch to see what happens. Can Vickis get what he needs? Can the alien get what he needs? And what's going on with that mothership? It's hovering above them. So everybody, please, if you have not seen Just Nine, check it out. Oh my goodness, that's a great review. You know what? We'll have to check and see District Nine. Thanks for listening. 
For additional resources, visit whywatchthat.com. Good idea, and we'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and leave comments, feedback, and you can rate us on iTunes. We'll see you next week. See you.